it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to more agriculture conversations here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast, on our podcast platforms, and also on our streams on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Well, today we have a full show where our special guest joining us at the end of this episode will be Farmer Adam Psycho, a sugar beet producer and secretary treasurer of the Montana Dakota Beet Growers Association. We're going to be discussing this week's announcement by Sydney Sugars, owned by American Crystal Sugar Company, which is ceasing production of sugar in Sydney, Montana, starting in April. Adam will share the farmer's perspective on things and how they got to the point in which they are at today and what the public really needs to know about the entire situation. So stay with us for the entire episode as we will catch up with Adam and hear more about this important topic up in northeastern Montana and the western Dakotas. Also, we will discuss how the U.S. Forest Service is still pursuing efforts to carry out sniper operations in the Gila National Wilderness in New Mexico, shooting astray cattle. But producer pushback is putting pressure on the agency to not carry out with those efforts. We will also hear from cattle producer Turk Stovall from Montana on his thoughts about the future of the cattle markets. And also we will take a look at what those markets are doing in our local markets here across the West as well. We'll be back with our conversation starting with Mr. Bronson Corn discussing the Gila National Wilderness right after this. Trusted by generations since 1954, Western Ranch Supply is your cabin supply headquarters. Either visit one of their stores in Billings or Great Falls or shop online at westernranchsupply.com. Again, a thank you to Western Ranch Supply for bringing you today's conversations on the Lancast Ag Podcast. Well, as we mentioned, New Mexico ranchers are warning producers across the West that graze on public lands of what they are calling a blatant misuse of the U.S. Forest Service's role in resource management. The U.S. Forest Service has utilized aerial gunning to eradicate a stray cattle in the Gila National Wilderness and left beef carcasses to rot on the landscape. The last aerial gunning took place a year ago this week. But it's a precedent that the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association wants to prevent on federal grazing lands nationwide. The New Mexico Cattle Growers Association president-elect Bronson Corn shared with me recently an update on the association's lawsuit against the federal government for their previous and future planned eradication of cattle there in the Gila National Wilderness. Well, first of all, it's a it's a it's a blatant misuse of of our government agencies deciding that they're going to go out and they're going to remove 150 head of cattle off of over a half million acres. Uh, they claim that the cattle are destroying the riparian areas down through this Gila River, and uh, there's no there's no evidence behind that. The only evidence that they have actually comes from the Center of Biological Diversity, which, as you know, the the organization that that they are. Um, there's no real proof on, on the damage that's being caused. So the blatant loss of a product uh, that's so valuable, especially in, in uh, New Mexico, which is one of the poorest states in the United States, um, poverty-wise, um, why are we, first of all, just 
shooting these cattle and leaving them out there to rot and uh, not taking into consideration we've come up with some real solutions to get these cattle out of there. We understand there's a problem. Um, there has been a problem, but this problem was created by the Forest Service. And so we've come up with real solutions and uh, they, they disregarded our solutions. So Bronson, uh, the Forest Service is classifying these cattle as feral cattle. Is that a correct uh, classification in the opinion of uh, the Livestock Associations in the state of uh, New Mexico as well? No, sir. No, sir. These, these are not feral cattle. Um, these are stray cattle. Uh, the, the reason behind the stray cattle is these, these cattle were, they belonged to a permittee in the United States Forest Service, a grazing allotment uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And whenever the Forest Service uh, decided they were going to terminate that allotment, they gave these people a very short window of time to get a bunch of cattle off of a very large amount of acres. And uh, so therefore these, these cattle were, were left behind. They didn't have time to get them. These are not feral cattle. Uh, these are stray cattle. And uh, we, we have to get that point across that um, a stray cattle belong to the New Mexico Livestock Board until you can prove that they belong to somebody else. But if they're slick cattle and, and no, no marks, no earmarks, no anything like that, uh, the New Mexico Livestock Board takes possession of those cattle. Now, you can watch the entire interview with Bronson Corn and myself here on our Facebook and YouTube pages as well. Well, as we mentioned, the cattle industry is entering a pretty good point as we are seeing one of the smallest cattle supplies since 2015 as drought has caused the industry to dig deeper into the supply of feeder cattle and calves. And while the exact path to drought resiliency and relief is unknown, improvements are also expected to translate to moderating feed costs, especially in the second half of this year. That's all according to data from our friends at Cattle Facts. And last week during the Cattle Industry Convention in New Orleans, I caught up with Billings Area Rancher and Montana Stock Growers Second Vice President Turk Stovall, who shared his thoughts on what the future of the cattle business is looking like. Sure looks like the cow-calf sector is going to start getting back in the driver's seat. And uh, we really need that. You know, especially in our region of the United States, we've gone through some really tough years. This drought has just exhausted a lot of producers. And we've, we've seen it in our area, a lot of mother cows leave the state. And so we do see, you know, there are some operators, operations starting to uh, say, hey, what can I do to keep some of these heifers here? And we're starting to see these heifers come into these backgrounding yards in Montana. And um, we do think there's going to be some more heifers bred. But input costs and the unpredictability of weather will be a major factor in herd regrowth, not only in Montana, but nationwide. Input prices are just uh, a big deciding factor. And it really, obviously, every person's in a different financial position. Um, and I think it's all examples, Lane. I mean, just uh, in our world with our with our feed yards, we've we've seen uh, to where some producers they're breeding heifers, and do you know why they're breeding heifers? It's not because they're trying to grow their herd; they're trying to get their herd back. Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, that's been a, somewhat of a pretty sobering uh, discussion. But again, it will take some time to rebuild that cattle herd, not only here in our region, but across the nation. But because of that limited supply, the forecast for the 2023 Fed steer price is $1.58. That's up $13 over 2022. Cattle Facts is also projecting five and a half weight steer calves to be around $2.25. So let's cross our fingers that that truly becomes a reality here 
this year. Well, also just this week, a bipartisan effort to have the meat packers fall into line was reintroduced. U.S. Senator John Tester of Montana reintroduced the Meat Packers Special Investigator Act that will fight consolidation and enforce the nation's antitrust laws in the meat processing industries to fall into line. The bill is co-sponsored by Republicans, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Mike Rounds of South Dakota. Everybody knows it's involved in production agriculture that the marketplace is more consolidated today than it was 100 years ago when the Packers and Stockyards Act was passed. That's why I'm dropping in a series of bills to increase competition in the marketplace so our ranchers and our farmers get a fair shake. Uh, if we don't do this, we're going to continue to see rural America decline, and I don't want to see that. And so we're going to be working hard to get these bills passed and get them to the president's desk. Now, the bill would create the Office of the Special Investigator for Competition Matters within USDA, which would really be comprised of a team of investigators with subpoena power, and they'll be responsible for targeting and preventing anti-competitive practices amongst large players in both the meat and poultry industries. Oh, also, we should throw in there some wheat news where we see the supply and demand outlook for wheat is largely, un largely unchanged, excuse me, this month in the latest World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates report. U.S. ending wheat stocks only went from 567 million bushels to 568, still the lowest in 15 years, I might add. World ending wheat stocks inched up to 9.9 .9 billion bushels, but the season average farm gate price for wheat here in the United States was lowered by a dime to just $9 based on prices received to date and expectations for cash prices for the remainder of the 2022-23 year. Well, finally, before we get to our interview with Adam Psycho, the sugar beet farmer from up in the eastern Montana, western North Dakota region, let's look to some of our local livestock markets where we see a smaller sale of mostly feeder cattle went through the ring at the public auction yards Billings, Montana, just 700 plus head going through where the six to 630 weight steers $1.99 to 216 this week, 660 pound to 682 pound steers 187 to 195. Uh, in the slaughter cow category, boner cows, that is, they saw prices of 80 up to $90. And finally, as we look to a great sale this week at Torrington Livestock, Torrington, Wyoming, just under 5,000 head. Steer and heifer calves under 650 pounds, traded 3 to $6 higher with some instances of $11 higher. That five and a half to six weight category, 220 to 240 with the six and a half to 700 weights, 190 to 214. As for heifers, the 565 weight heifers going up to 600 pounds brought a price of 195 to 211. So it's great seeing some stronger markets here in our local regional auction places here as we move throughout February 2023. Hey, friends, don't go away. We'll catch up with farmer Adam Psycho and get to the bottom of what farmers are really experiencing up in the northeastern part of Montana and the western region of North Dakota when it comes to marketing, growing, and selling their sugar beets. We'll be right back after these words from our friends at Neogen.
Working to preserve the ground for the next generation. Shouldn't your cow herd be built for the future too? Igenity Beef provides DNA testing for 17 critical traits on a 1 through 10 scale, along with indexes and parentage. This tool aids in selection and management of commercial females and provides marketing opportunities to build your herd for the next generation. Use code RADIO to get 20% off your next Igenity Beef order. Learn more about Igenity. Go to Neogen.com or call 877-443-6489. As we return back today, we just like to thank our friends at Neogen for bringing you this part of our conversation here on the podcast and our social media streams. Now, earlier this week, the residents of northeastern Montana and the western Dakotas woke up to the news that Sydney Sugars was going to be closing. Of course, they process sugar beets into sugar there in that part of the country, and uh, that company was owned by American Crystal Sugar Company. Now, this has caused quite a lot of comments and uh, maybe a little bit of confusion out across the countryside, and especially on Facebook, where people may not know the full story. And so joining us here today is a farmer and sugar beet producer from that neck of the woods. Adam Psycho out of Fairview, Montana, joins us, and he's actually the secretary treasurer of the Montana Dakota Beet Growers Association Board. And, and Adam, I look forward to, to learning more uh, from the perspectives of the growers and the grower leaders. But uh, how are things in northeastern Montana today? Well, you know, it's sunshine and and not too much wind, so can't complain starting to melt melt off a lot of that snow well we're, we're keeping that wind going over here in, in north central montana and, and yeah. that's blowing our snow away too but uh, uh adam uh, f- first off let, let's just talk about uh, your family operation there in fairview and mm-hmm. uh the crops that you produce and then we'll we'll get into the sugar beet and the processing discussion but uh, uh how long has your family been producing uh, crops out there in that part of the world so uh, my family moved up here uh, right around 1930. So, and that's when we actually came up to farm sugar beets from Colorado. Um, it was part of a part of an operation they had down there. They were going to start a factory up here, the one in Sydney, and they needed they needed sugar beet farmers to move up. And you got a little bit of land as long as you guaranteed to grow sugar beets for them for X number of years and and so that's kind of how how we got started. That was that was my great grandfather, and we're actually right across the gravel road from from his old place, and we still farm that that same homestead there. So obviously, over ninety years uh, of growing sugar beets and being a part of, of the food supply chain, um, and this has obviously been a, a very sensitive subject for producers for the Sydney community, for the people yep. that have worked at Sydney Sugars. So Adam, can you paint a picture of how we got to where we are today? Obviously profitability comes into this conversation. You have to be profitable in the countryside growing a crop like sugar beets. And I know a company has to be profitable too, but if a producer is losing money in what they're growing, uh, it, it's going to be hard to want to plant that crop when there's other commodities you can grow. What what has led up to the situation where the contracts just kept getting cut back from American Sugars? Well, I mean, during our negotiation process with them, um, and it's been going on for, you know, not ever since they first bought us. You know, those, those first few contracts and everything, um, the the time was right. Everything was working in the factory you know, still had, you know, some decent working parts and, 
and didn't take a lot of upkeep for a factory being built in, you know, 1927 or so. Um, and so, but as, as time went on and, you know, we started raising, you know, more and more tons, um, that, that factory that, you know, may not have been built for that many tons had to produce that much, um, to turn a profit on their end. And then you start finding the smaller weak, weak links in the chain, so to say. And that's kind of, you know, that's where they kind of came back to us as, you know, if, if they wanted to make an improvement in the factory, it was up essentially to the growers to pay for it through our next contract. And obviously there's been a lot of talk on Facebook and probably at the, at the local diners about, uh, well, well, these, the, that producers, they, they just need to grow more sugar beets to keep this open. Well, as I alluded to before, you, you have to be able to market that and get paid for it. What, what, what led up more to just those contracts being uh, pushed back and further and further where, where some producers just decide not to plant any acres at all. Yeah. So, I mean, it takes a lot of a lot of inputs to to grow a sugar beet crop, um, and when when we've had you know to to renegotiate a contract about every three years or so, it's it's pretty difficult to update machinery um, and things like that on our end when you don't know what what's going to happen on year four, you know when a new contract comes. So um, yeah, the the profitability side, you know, started being questioned quite a few years ago, probably around 07, 08, but then that's when Roundup Ready sugar beets came out onto the market. And, you know, we weren't having to mix six, seven different chemicals to keep the crops clean and to improve yields and, and provide a quality product for the factory. So, you know, that kind of helped keep, keep things sustainable for a while, but um just just like in all things good things might come to an end and you know round up ready these past few years we're starting to see a little bit more resistance and you know res resistant weeds and things like that and really the only way to fix that is to get in a different crop rotation per se and you know a lot of guys out here are or were every other year sugar beets were in a field um, a majority of it was, you know, either barley or spring wheat on the, the rotational year. And so any of those, you know, you were able to get rid of some of those difficult broadleaf weeds with that crop, but you couldn't put anything in the ground that had a residual. Otherwise, you know, your sugar beets kind of took a hit the next year in that field. And, and so that's kind of, you know, guys started rotating away from that and trying to do a three-year rotation and throwing a different crop in there but at the end of the day that just meant fewer acres being planted to beets and that just means fewer tons for for the factory to process and i think that's important for people to understand too is it, it's not quite like uh, other contracts out there for malt barley or, mm -hmm. or other commodities that get contracted you're doing this as, as you said uh three years in advance you're you're yep. you're working into an unknown and mm -hmm. who, who would have known that COVID 19 would have happened a few yeah. years ago as well uh, for example so i i, I guess 
it really comes into uh, a planning decision uh, uh, to a year to two years before this week's uh, decision that really uh, shaped uh, uh, kind of a decision not to produce more sugar. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, the input costs of, of fertilizer, you know, made it a little bit more more hesitant for guys. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that that went into the the fewer acres grown grown this past year. Um, some of it due to that, you know, a majority of it being that, that new contract that, that we essentially negotiated with them. Um, our different thing is we have essentially a three-year marketing agreement. So we get paid, you know, the same for three years, but it's actually an every year con contract. So they have the ability to stop the the operation every single year if they felt like there wasn't enough sugar beets grown now uh, obviously when the news came out earlier this week that the the company would be ceasing operations and, and producing sugar uh by april uh it caught a lot of people off guard that weren't following this story carefully uh, or closely, excuse me. And I, I think at first, I think the farmers were getting the blame for this. And then yeah. as as producers, uh, because we should say that uh, the the company that owns Sydney Sugars, American Crystal Sugar Company, they, they put out a press release without even notifying uh, yourself and the other members of the Mondak Beet Growers Association board and just said, these are the factors. We don't have enough uh, beet acres out there and we're, we're closing up shop. And I and like I like I said, I think a lot of people just jumped to the conclusion like, well, these beet farmers, they needed to grow more and this and that. Well, doing this, doing this uh, background and just talking about that reduction in acreage, it paints a full picture. I guess what were some of the frustrations and what's a message you want to share with the people out in your neck of the woods that maybe just don't know the full story? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the frustrations were you know, through the board discussing things with American Crystal representatives, um, we just kind of, we came to the conclusion a little bit earlier on that, you know, they, they would stand there and listen to us, but they weren't exactly taking what we said and putting it to use on their, on their end. Um, we, we spent a lot of time discussing different, even just through the negotiation of this previous contract of things we'd like to see and you know it all came down to essentially we need we need x number acres of beets or you know or we're shutting shutting this place down and we we questioned them you know okay well how many acres do you need to make this place you know work for you guys and we just can never they would never answer the question they they just always kind of said, well, that's a that's a moving target based on other dynamics. And so that kind of gray area, I guess, left a lot of us producers kind of wondering, you know, how much do we really need? And our our issue out here is we we have to prep everything in the fall for the most part. Um, the the ground is, you know, too wet by the time planting comes around that to do any sort of field work and so 
a lot of guys had already, you know, made their cropping decisions right after wheat harvest. And so, you know, when you have that on top of all the stuff that goes on in a contract over the winter coming into the following spring, it just, there was a lot of risk involved with putting all your eggs into the sugar beet basket, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so moving ahead, obviously, a lo- there's a lot of infrastructure in place that producers have, uh, yeah. have put in. They bought a lot of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, what are the next steps? Uh, you know, obviously, I think of uh, Western Sugar based out of, of Billings and, and, uh, and Wyoming, where producers own that. Has that been discussed? Uh, are, are producers still going to grow beets and try to look elsewhere, which uh, <laughs> trying to truck yeah. beets would, seems impossible uh, from, yeah. from that neck of the woods. But I guess, what are some of those discussions happening uh, between growers themselves? Well, yeah, I mean, essentially on the on the equipment end and stuff, yes, it's it's very specialized stuff. You know, you can't use a, a beet digger for anything else but digging beets. And so uh, as far as, you know, where to go next with all of this, um, you know, there isn't any sort of opportunity to start growing for a different co-op. You'd have to own shares. And like you say, we it's a it's a root vegetable that can go bad and it needs to be processed in a timely manner. And so, yeah, to grow them and, and to haul them out of here is essentially impossible from a logistical standpoint. Um, with, with all the equipment that essentially remains to be seen where, you know, a lot of guys have already talked to equipment dealers in other areas. And, but unfortunately, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be so many on the market that you don't know whether or not you're, you should just keep it and wait to sell it or, or try to offload it now. So Adam, was there any talk now or in the past about uh, producers purchasing the factory or is anyone else uh, uh, has, is there any other uh, sugar companies out there that would be interested in buying uh, Sydney sugars from American crystal and, and and, uh, get, get the plant up and going again, or are they just going to lock the gate and and throw away the key? I I guess uh, there's a lot going to happen, obviously that we don't know about, but what have been some of those previous conversations? Yeah, so I guess to to give you a little bit of a, a backstory on it, um, when they purchased the factory, um, the factory came with an allotment. And an allotment pretty much gives you the right to sell sugar in the United States. So without allotment, a sugar factory really does you no good because you produce a product that you can't sell. Um, when they purchased the factory, they essentially took the allotment that Sydney Sugars had and moved it to American Crystal. Um, So at this point, and what we kind of found out during our negotiations when the growers tried to purchase this factory is you would essentially be buying a factory that couldn't produce sugar or or could produce sugar, but couldn't sell it. Um, And so that's going to be the biggest hurdle as far as you know, the only company out there that has an excess amount of allotment is American Crystal. Other other co-ops don't have the extra and some even have to 
lease it or rent it back from American Crystal who has the the extra allotment. So the essentially the the ability to purchase the factory is is about a, a moot point at this at this time. So what have been some conversations with elected officials or, or agencies out in Washington, D.C.? I mean, obviously, this has been the, the the place where you sell your sugar beets. But as a producer, do you feel that this company is taking advantage of a situation for with producers in your neck of the woods in, in terms of having really a chokehold on the, the supply of sugar and, and those allotments, as you mentioned? Well, it, I mean, it it does make it difficult um, to, to kind of see a way out of this, that, that still makes us sugar beet producers in the end. Um, the, we have had discussions with, you know, and we've been keeping up to date, the senators and representatives, um, from Montana and North Dakota, cause we do have, I'm mm-hmm. personally from North Dakota. So, um, they've, they've been up to, you know, aware of, of what's going on, um, but as as far as making any changes, it would have to be a very large kind of policy change. And in order for that to happen, the World Trade Organization would have to be involved. And as we've all kind of known for a little while, the World Trade Organization hasn't really functioned and done their job as of late. So to get anything moved through there in a timely manner before the following year because to my understanding as soon as this factory is closed for for a year it will not be able to be reopened due to different epa um, requirements so adam obviously it probably hasn't been fun sitting down at the kitchen table with family and discussing this because there there's a lot of heartache there there's a yep. lot of emotion mm-hmm I, I guess what have been some of those conversations as your family reflects on nine decades of growing yeah. a crop, but I guess what are some of those other opportunities that you're looking at? Cause obviously you have the ground, yeah. um, it, but you know, sometimes uh, other commodities, you know, the more, the more that are growing, the more the prices are usually uh, not the greatest either, but yeah. I guess what have, what have been the family talks uh, just like so many other families are having uh, in your neck of the woods? Yeah, so I mean, these family talks or discussions in the shop when we're working on things have have been happening for for a number of years at this point. Um, you know, I we've we've discussed different things and and tried even branching out and and some guys have tried other crops and you know on a few acres and it helps it helps right now. You know, my view on it is it helps right now that other commodities are high. Uh, soybeans corn things like that if if we're gonna if we're gonna try them and you know kind of try to figure them out i'd rather try to figure them out when there's room for profit than try to figure them out when there's very little margin on the other end so that is kind of a silver lining at this point um and to your other point you know we've we're an irrigated valley and there's 60,000 acres, you know, all under irrigation. We, we've grown, you know, super high quality, you know, high yielding crops for a lot of years up here. And, and that won't stop just because it's not a sugar beet in the ground. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, we're definitely 
looking for different opportunities and and different commodities that we can we can start producing and getting out to the world. And maybe what are some of those opportunities with other producers, say, on the livestock end? Because there is quite a lot of livestock feeding in that yep. neck of the wood, thanks to thanks to uh, irrigation. Water is a wonderful thing. It's amazing yeah. things grow uh, yeah. when, when there's water. I, I, I guess, uh, do you feel that that livestock community can can help uh, help purchase some of that product as well that wouldn't be used or, or marketed that would go outside of the state? Yeah, yeah. And and to that point, you know, there's kind of a hole in that market now because a lot of the uh, a lot of the cattle producers used beet pulp from the factory, and so you know, th- there's a lot of guys that are now short on feed, and they will need something to replace that in the future. And you know, that's one of the things that we've kind of done on our operation. We we've, we've planted a few extra little smaller fields into alfalfa, and you know, kind of starting longer year rotations with that um but yeah no they will definitely become a little bit more of a of a key role with with how we produce things down here in the valley well adam it's it's a difficult time that that you and so many producers are are going through but also the employees that uh worked at sydney sugars and again i'm not saying this is is just an easy conversation and you and i's chat is gonna make the world a better place and everyone's gonna be happy and go along the way but um it's gonna take time for producers to to uh, market their equipment that they won't be able to utilize or or what future plans will be. And, you know, that, that is the disappointing thing is the farmers and ranchers have been handed a lot over the past few years and, and just trying to keep a family business going uh, mm-hmm. is tough. And whether that is a farmer ranch or a business in your neck of the woods, that's a, a mom and pop shop that supplies uh, the things that we need in the countryside. But I guess what's a message that you have to the folks there in, in, in the Western Dakotas and, and Northeastern Montana, just about, you know, the role that agriculture plays and uh, your, your hope for agriculture in, in that region? Well, I mean, my hope is that I can pass it down to, to my kids. And, you know, I, I think that the work ethic of, of the farmers and ranchers in this area will, will definitely make that a possibility. Um, and, you know, to all of the, the former factory workers, you know, they've, they've invested a lot of time and effort into, into that place. And, and as a, a, a grower, you know, that, that was able to drop their beets off to them and they made it, they made it work the rest of the way. You know, we, we can't express any more, any more greater appreciation for those, those folks. They've, they've had to do a lot. And, you know, for us farmers, we're, we're still going to be here. I'm, I'm still going to be harvesting something next year, but, but for the, for the guys and the gals in the factory, you know, we, we can only hope the best. And, you know, I, I really appreciate all the, all the things that they've done and, and same for all of our businesses as we, you know, transition into a different, essentially checkbook, you know, things will, things will look different going forward and, and so I hope that, you know, as, as a community, we're, we're very close knit. Everybody, you know, seems to know everybody out here or you're related to somebody. So, uh, you know, you know how the small town stuff goes. So it's, I will, we'll be okay, but it's, it's just going to take some time and, and some effort, but we're all, we're all willing to work for it. 
Well, again, Adam Psycho joining us, uh, a producer uh, that uh, is truly uh, uh, looking towards the future, but trying to understand what has led up to this point too. But I appreciate all that you do, Adam. And it's it's a tough situation, no doubt, but uh, thanks for producing food. And uh, again, I, I know you'll be able to hand that down to the next generation uh, just because of what you do now and uh, what, what you'll do in the future. Yeah, well, thank you, Lane. I appreciate the opportunity here. And, you know, thanks, thanks for shining a light on, on our little neck of the woods out here in eastern Montana, western North Dakota. And again, a big thank you to Adam Psycho for joining us. A very difficult topic to discuss, especially for producers who have been working for so long to just have an agreement to sell their product uh, to the sugar manufacturing plant there. Again, we'll continue to follow this important story and conversation that's impacting so many producers and local community uh, members there in northeastern Montana and western North Dakota. That will do it for today here on the Lancast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Lanecast with Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lanecast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the Lanecast. <laughs>